Would you join with me in prayer again? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. And I pray that you open our hearts up even as we, we look at your scripture. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us to be moved by you. Give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is a complicated time. It's a confusing time. I mean, it's all about Christ's death and his resurrection from the dead. So in celebration of that, we hunt for colored eggs and eat candy brought to us by bunnies with baskets. It's confusing, you know? No, I, I, and I get it. It's all like fertility things having to do with the goddess Easter. We can talk about that some other time. But even if you want to be Christian-y about it, it gets confusing. Uh, this week, uh, at least eight different men had themselves nailed to crosses in the Philippines. One for the 34th time, because obviously because Christ suffered in order to access that, we need to suffer with him. Even though the Catholic Church said, please stop doing that, please, it's, it's backwards. Christ said, because I suffered, when you access that, you don't need to suffer the cross. But you have all the pieces gefrungled. It's a very emotive time. And if we're not careful as we think about his death, his resurrection, everything just becomes this big jumbled emotional blur that ends with a really good ham. <sighs> but I want us to stop and think. I, to be fair, though, it was really confusing for the first disciples, the first Christians, that first Resurrection Sunday. It was a very emotional blur. If you'll remember, that Friday was hard. It's a good Friday, but it was a hard Friday. And then Saturday was the Sabbath, and it was a hard Sabbath. We're told in Mark's Gospel, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go anoint Jesus' body, because in the days before modern embalming, that was how you, that's how you took care of the dead. It's how you made sure that they were respected and well-loved, but also not smelly. It's, a, it's respect, but it's also a way of taking care of the body. Luke tells us it was the preparation day on that Friday because they were preparing for the Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph of Arimathea and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and they prepared spices and perfumes so that they could put it on the body. But then they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Now it came up last week that technically, technically, they didn't need to prepare any spices. As it turns out, they didn't have to do that. I mean, I understand why they were they were going to, but Jesus' body had already been prepared. They just didn't realize it. John's Gospel tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, who was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night, secretly. Apparently both these guys felt like they had to do this in the secret. And the disciples are hiding in secret. There's a lot of people hiding, and then there's a lot of people no longer hiding because of something. But at this point, everybody was hiding their involvement with Jesus. But Nicodemus had been the one that he had talked with back in John chapter 3. It was to Nicodemus that he said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You can't just be good enough. It doesn't work that way. 
Same conversations when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In one conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said, when it comes to God, that whole birth and death thing is nuanced. You go, oh yeah, I understand birth. You're born and then I understand death. You die. In Christ, he goes... So here's when you were born, and then here's where you were reborn into what you were always supposed to be. There's dying, but then there's what happens after your death. I'm telling you, birth and death are far more complex than you give them credit for. Well, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. We talked about this in Sunday school last week. 75 pounds! 75 pounds. That's like a whole small person. Right? Like, he, he got wrapped in Liam. <laughs> 75 pounds. And we talked about this. It's not just 75 pounds of spices. It's expensive spices. In today's value, that's like roughly 150 to $200,000 worth of spices. The cost of like a house. That is going all in. That is saying we want to honor Christ. It's also, I always thought it was kind of unfortunate. It's like, it only lasted like three days. As it turns out, they didn't need, technically Jesus didn't need their spices any more than he needed the women's spices, right? He was only in there for a couple of days. And he knew he wouldn't stay dead. He had told them he wasn't going to stay dead. He knew full well, even on the cross, Psalm 22, he knew that God has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him. He's listened to his cry for help. Psalm 16, my body I know will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. I'm not going to need the spices. I'm not going to be dead that long. They're only there to make sure that the corpse doesn't smell like Lazarus had begun to. But what happens when the corpse isn't a corpse anymore? What happens when he's not dead anymore? John's Gospel says, taking Jesus' body, the two Jewish leaders wrapped it with these 75 pounds of expensive spices in strips of linen. This is in accordance with Jewish burial customs because because it, it actually wasn't a waste. Even if you say, well, that's an awful lot of money to spend for three days, it wasn't a waste. Because technically, in their minds, they weren't just wrapping his body so that it didn't smell. In their mind, they were honoring their Lord. It was an act of worship. I don't care whether it lasted three minutes. It was an act of worship. I think the guys would have thought it was worth every dime. Because when they saw him, they didn't see some guy that needed to not smell. When they saw him, they saw God in the flesh. My God walked with me. I want to honor him. Now, Luke said that the women had seen this. Matthew said the women had seen this. Mark said the women had seen this. But none of those guys mentioned the spices. They all mentioned that they saw the linen. They all mentioned they saw the, the guys taking them in. None of them mentioned that they saw all the spices being taken care of. So the women said, oh, I think somebody needs to still go and do the spice part. So they prepared all this. Then again, they were emotionally distraught. It was an emotional blur of a weekend, right? 
We're told in Mark's gospel very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb with their spices, not with linen, because they knew that the linen had been taken care of. They just needed the spices. And they asked each other, oh, wait, who, who's going to roll the big old stone away from the entrance? Because remember, there's a, there's a big old rock there, right? When the Jewish leaders had gone to Pilate, they said, ah, guy claimed he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. Can we, um, can we lock it up, please? Because I don't want his disciples to come in the middle of the night, steal the body, and pretend that he's alive. And so Pilate said, yeah, sure, fine. Go get as big a rock as you can get and stick it there. Seal it up officially. Let's stick armed guards there. Make sure that nobody can get in. And the women are like, oh, I hadn't quite that thought that through. I always thought of that, that when I'm a kid. I'm like, how are they planning? They're going to take the spices. How are they planning to get in? They weren't. They hadn't planned through that part at all. They're like, oh, wait. But when they got there and they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, and it had been rolled away. I love it. It had been flung away with some, with some force. And I love that Matthew gives us that little bit of the story. Matthew's gospel says, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, flipped it to the side, and then sat on it. I love that mental image. I just love that. Whop! Just waiting. You're going, okay, I'm just waiting for everybody else to show up. Because here's the fun thing. Why'd they roll the stone away? You go, oh, to let Jesus out. That's what I thought when I was a kid. Later on in the day, he's walking through like locked doors and stuff. They didn't fling the stone to the side so that Jesus could get out. They flung the stone aside so that his friends could get in and see that he wasn't there anymore. By the time, by the, time the angel whipped open the stone, I, I don't think Jesus was there any longer. Well, the angel appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men because, yes, wouldn't you? If that's what happened, the third day of your watch, you're like, oh, this is the most boring day. Oh, yesterday was boring. Friday night was boring. Wham! That'd wake you up. I would be scared. You'd be scared. Well, Luke's gospel, we're told that the women found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, I imagine so, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Actually, Matthew and Mark's gospel suggest that the angel who rolled away the stone is still sitting on it. <laughs> There's one guy talking to him. One guy's just sitting there like a toddler, blissfully, blissfully happy with his work. Look what I did. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground because that makes total sense. And like Matthew's gospel said the angels had to go, no, 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 don't be afraid. Because the angels always have to say, don't be afraid, right? Because they're terrifying. Big, scary-looking thing that suddenly appear. They said, no, no, don't be afraid. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? What, what were you expecting to find here, guys? Now, part of that just betrays how angels don't entirely get us. I mean, they're, they're not us. They're spiritual constructs. And on some levels, they sit there and they're like, I, I don't understand grief. I don't get some of these things. 
And yet some of this suggests that they understood far better than we did. They're like, well, didn't he tell you he was going to rise again? Isn't that what he said? And if that's what he said, he was rise again, why are you here? He told his friends the truth. They nodded in their pews. Uh-huh. I'm going to go, and they're going to crucify me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Except for Peter, who goes, never, Lord. He's like, okay, I'm going to have to correct Peter. But I'm going to die. I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Everybody's like, oh, I don't get it. Some kind of parable. Whatever. And the angels are like, didn't he tell you repeatedly? Yes. Why are you here then? Because when the rubber hits the road, we can struggle to actually believe what we believe. We can nod in a pew, but on Tuesdays that can be hard. When trouble or persecution comes, when expectations or the worries of life come in, Help me out. When is truth true? Isn't it always? If something is true, is it true on Sundays? If something is true, is it true on Tuesdays? If something is true, is it true when everything's going great? If something is true, is it true when everything's going hard? If something's true, it's always true. Well, the men said to them, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You knew he was going to rise again, right? He's not here. He's, he's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still back with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I can show you the transcript if you guys would like. Do you remember that? And it's the, it's the, it's the third day. How is this throwing you people? Again, they're angels. They don't get it. Then they remembered their words. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten that part. They'd missed the part where he'd already had the spices applied to his body because that's not what they expected. They expected because he'd been buried, they'd have to go do that. They missed the part where Christ has said he's going to rise again. Even the religious leaders that hated him remembered that part, but they'd missed it because they're like, well, he'd, he'd been buried, and so we assume he's going to be in the tomb. There's all these expectations that get in our way. All this stuff that we miss because we're so focused on, I don't know, this or on, or on that or on this expectation or that fear or that stressor. We miss the good stuff. Jesus isn't about, he isn't about your expectations. It's not about my expectations. He doesn't, he doesn't like fitting in the boxes that we make for him gilded though they are. And yet, he's everything he always consistently says in Scripture. I mean, over and over and over and over and over, he's like, let me let me spell this out for you. And he's tremendously consistent, which is interesting. You say, well, if he's very clear and very consistent, how do we keep missing it? That's an excellent question. Because somehow we forget. We do the stuff he tells us not to do. We miss it. Guys, don't fall asleep while I pray. It's important. Guys, don't just ask for the good seats. Guys, don't do what the world would do here. Guys, don't be afraid. Guys, I need you to love everybody. He's very clear. 
And we are amazingly forgetful. Well, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Because, well, wouldn't you tell everybody? This is utterly bizarre. And we're told that Jesus rose again. I'd, I'd tell people. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others who were with them that told them the, the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like, to them like nonsense. You know why? Because it's nonsense. Everything I just told you is a lie. This is ridiculous. It's unqualified, utter, unbelievable, hyper-emotive, balderdash. Unless it's true. Everything we do here on a Sunday morning is a shadow play. It's a joke. It's an embarrassing joke. Unless it's true. And if it's true, how could we not tell people who say, ah, that's balderdash, it's ridiculous, it's a joke, it's, it's nonsense. You go, if you're right, then everything I do is idiotic. If I'm right, how could I not tell you? How could I not? I love it. I get that they would have trouble believing them. But I love that Peter, however, being Peter, got up and ran to the tomb. Now, that's ridiculous. He's like, let's go check. And this sets the stage for John's gospel. In John's gospel, Peter and the other disciple, which is John himself, Jesus' cousin, somehow never likes to call himself by name in his own gospel. But he, Peter and John started for the tomb because they, they may not have believed the story, but they, they may have just not understood it, but they, they had to see for themselves. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first because he was the younger one. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Why? Because it's an open tomb. Why would you? Why would you do that? It's an open tomb with Roman soldiers sitting there by the side going, you don't run in. You don't go in. Surely you've seen enough horror movies that you go, well, you don't go in. This is a horrible, dangerous-looking, dark castle with rusty chainsaws hanging off the ceiling. Well, don't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and, being Peter, went straight on in. Because why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, i got to see. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. As any injured, shambling, nearly dead OCD crucifixion survivor would just naturally do upon having consciousness in his own darkened tomb, right? You just get up and go, oh, well, we've got to fold all this. That in and of itself is a detail. Now, this isn't some guy wandering out going, boy, I almost died on that cross. Something very different happened here. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And he saw and he believed. Now, I still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I mean, he had told them that specifically. The Psalms had said that specifically. The religious leaders had remembered it. But that simple truth somehow still eluded them. Because it's not a simple truth, is it? It's nonsense to ask somebody to believe it. It's balderdash. It's insanity unless it's true. 
But scripture made it very clear. He had to rise from the dead. It wasn't just suffering for our sins, but it was breaking death open and saying, you don't have to be afraid of this. Death is not the end for you. Not anymore. Christ took the fangs out of death. Took the sting out, Paul says. Multiple witnesses later testified that they saw him walking around. The official records seem to suggest that uh, his tomb was inexplicably empty, though it was sealed and had guards. The disciples spent the rest of their lives preaching that he had risen from the dead, went to their deaths preaching that. Chuck Colson said that Watergate proved to him the truth of the resurrection. He said, in, in, in Scripture, 12 men, 11, um, spent the rest of their lives, decades, preaching that he rose from the dead, never changing their story. They went to their deaths. They were tortured to death, preaching the same truth, never changed their story. At Watergate, 12 leaders couldn't keep a secret for three weeks. They all recanted. They all went, yeah, no, no, I need, I need to cover my own backside. No, 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 no. Not one of the disciples went, well, I mean, I didn't actually see him. Every single one said, no, this is absolutely real. This absolutely happened. And it happens to be exactly, precisely what Jesus said would happen, what the religious leaders were afraid would happen. God is so unbelievably consistently clear, and we are so unbelievably unbelieving at times. We can just miss it. So the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying because all she really knew was that Jesus was dead and his body was gone and she's alone. That's what she's heard, but all she knew is that. And as she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I, that's a nice little detail that maybe you don't think about that often. Why were they still there? Why were they there? I mean, on one level, you might go, well, they're drinking in the moment, man. This is, this is history. They want to be there. Did Jesus go, no, wait here for Mary. Mary needs to see you guys. Because Peter and John were just in the tomb, and they didn't see any angels. Mary's standing outside. Peter and John leave. She looks inside and sees the angels. Peter and John didn't. I think the angels were there for her. And they asked her, woman, ma'am, it's actually respectful, ma'am, uh, why are you crying? Because, again, they still don't quite get this. I, I, we told you he's alive. Why are you, why are you crying? Why do why you struggle to believe this? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. He's dead, and, and his body's gone, and I'm alone. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. I don't know if she was crying, or he was standing in the dark, or she just wasn't paying attention. What? He said, woman, uh, why are you crying? Exactly the same thing the angels did. You know, woman, why are you crying? Oh, my God. He's like, ma'am, why are you crying? And I love it. He, says, he says, who is he looking for? But you can't read it like that. Because he knows who she's looking for. I mean, standing in his tomb, he's not dense. So I love it. He says, woman, what are you looking for? Oh, Woman, why are you crying? Who, who is it you're looking for? I can't help but picture him having a little smile on his face. This, 
ironic grief at her ironic grief. She's like, I don't know where Jesus is. He's like, where? Who is? Mary. And I love it that that's what gets through to her. He says, Mary. Hello. All the scripture, all the explanation, angels telling her what's going on, doctrine, theology she should have known, couldn't cut through. But there was something about his voice saying her name, that relationship that cuts through religion, cuts through fear, cuts through anxiety, cuts through, and says, Mary, you know me. Who are you looking for? I'm looking for Jesus. Who? Jesus! Mary? She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, in her heart language, Rabboni, which means teacher. I know, I know you. And she just says, okay, don't hold on to me, which I love. Because it's not like he's like, well, I am, I am see-through. You cannot touch me. Eat fish later. No, it's not that. It's just like, Mary, 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 let go, let go, let go, let go. Clinging a little tight, Mary. Don't hold on to me. Don't, don't, you got it? Thank you. You're digging in the nails in. Thank you. I haven't yet returned to the Father, and I'm going to. But go, go instead to my brothers. Tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God, your God. Tell, go tell everyone I'm alive. Because why wouldn't you, right? I mean, she's like, I'm so excited. I, I can't even let go of you. And he's like, you're going to have to a little bit. I need you to go tell them. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, if you genuinely believe that he saved you, saved all of us from our sins, if you genuinely believe he was a perfect sacrifice that washed all of our sins away, that we don't have to suffer We don't have to suffer to connect to his suffering. Because he suffered, we no longer have to. If you genuinely believe that, that he died and rose again, if you genuinely believe any of that, if you genuinely believe all of that, you have to tell people. You have to. When the Cubs won the World Series, I told a few people. Arguably, this is bigger. I cannot keep that to myself. I can't. Of course I'm going to tell people. In fact, later on that night, he visited his friends himself, and he showed them the holes in his side and his hands and his feet. He showed them and proved And when he had done so, he said to them, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you guys. And a week later, he told Thomas, the only one who wasn't there to see the holes in his side and his hands and his feet, he said, okay, well, now you've seen me. And because you've seen me, you believe. Well, great. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. That'd that'd be people like us, right? I, I, I haven't seen it. And yet I believe it. I haven't seen the holes in his hands and his side and his feet. But that's okay, because I've seen enough other things in my life. I've talked with God. I've seen him work. I know his truth, and I know it works. 
And I know it makes sense once you get past the insanity of believing that God exists in the first place. If you acknowledge and realize that God is so much bigger than this place, he's the sculptor of this place, and that nothing is impossible with God, all of a sudden, all that other insanity is not nonsense. It's exactly what he said it would be. And I believe. And I need to get past my own expectations. Because, I mean, there's what I expect on a Sunday morning. There's what I expect on a Tuesday, for that matter. And then there's what Jesus has in store. Which one's better, by the way? What I had in my expectations or what Jesus has in store? Which one's better? Be careful how you answer. Because if what God has in store really is better than what you had planned, how should you respond when he does what you hadn't planned? He says, I want you to be my ambassadors. You, me, everyone here today, everyone called by his name, called to his kingdom, called to his family, called by his name, who call others and live a life worthy of the calling. All of us are ambassadors of something amazing. You gotta tell. You gotta tell others. You can't forget that truth later on after you're done nodding in the pews today. You just can't. You can't forget what he told us, what he promised us. We have to be like Nicodemus and Joseph, go all in and say, I love my Lord and there's nothing I wouldn't do to honor him and worship him. You don't have to convince anybody. You don't ever have to argue anybody into the kingdom. Just tell what you know. And I know my Savior lives. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. I thank you that I thank you that you went through everything we talked about on Good Friday. I thank you that you went through all that for us, for me. I thank you for every good and perfect gift. I thank you that you loved me even while I was hating you. I thank you that you were teaching us even on the cross, teaching us at the garden, teaching us at your tomb, teaching us in the upper room, teaching us and showing your love. Thank you. Lord, I pray, help us to seek your face. If, if we've stepped away from you, I pray, step back. I, if we've never stepped towards you, I pray, open our hearts. If we need a refresher and a reminder of why this is amazing, I pray that you fill us with your spirit and remind us how big you are. But I pray today, Change us today. Help us not get through today without realizing that you wish us today to be sculpted more by you. Be glorified in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.